This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest today is Alan Mulholland. Alan has the coolest story ever. He is actually going to be starting a journey on a sailboat around the world. It's a pleasure to be on air with you, at Deacon Mike. So I've already started. I've left Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, and I've made it to Port Hawkesbury. And then from Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia, I've, I'm now in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And we're held up there right now for a couple of reasons. Number one, we have a big hurricane that's barreling down on us. And uh, the second reason is my mother just passed away, as you know, and I'm now attending the funeral, which is in the Canadian prairies. That has to make this whole journey really difficult because how do you, you're so disconnected from the world when you're 500 miles from land. So describe that, like how is it possible to kind of free yourself and at the same time stay connected so when emergencies do arise, you're aware of them? I knew my mother passed just a day before I had to leave. And when I say I have to leave, the boat is only 6.5 meters, which is 21 feet. So that's a that's a very small boat by ocean standards. And we were waiting for a weather system to pass through so we could get out safely. Now, the thing is, I always enjoy solo sailing. It's the challenge of the solo sailing. So everything lined up and you have to be totally in the moment to be able to pull this off. You have to have 100% focus on what you're doing and not just for five minutes, but for however many days it takes. So to get from Port Hawkesbury to Halifax took three days. And that was probably one of the best things that could have happened in a way, or, or at least that's the way I'm, I'm framing it because the day before I heard my mother passed and it really affected me because my mother and I are very close. And, uh, you know, I'm 59 years of age and she was 82 and she passed and I was devastated that first day, but I also was on a very strict timetable to get the boat safely to a safe harbor. So as soon as I got on board, my head just switched 100% to the safety of the boat and myself and the passage at sea because we headed out, the wind was against us, the fog was descended on us in many ways. This would be a nightmare for so many solo sailors, especially at the beginning of a voyage. But for me, it was asking me to bring all my skills to bear on this passage, which required 100% focus. And then after the Wave Rover, the name of my boat, after Wave Rover came alongside, then I was able to start thinking again of grieving for my mother and hop on a flight and fly out. And so it's quite a distance, three time zones away. So in, in a sense, I hope I answered your question. This is one of those activities where you, you have to bring 100% because you're the only person on board. There's no one else to rely on. So this is your second journey, but talk a little bit about your first one. Having watched your videos on YouTube, I know that your wife was really a catalyst for you getting involved in doing this sailing, but she was thinking more, oh, I don't know, kayak or canoe, right? That's right. So I should say before Glenda, that's my wife, before we got married, I had just finished a solo trip. It was a trip of a lifetime. So I'm about 30 years of age. I've just left the Navy. I was an officer in the Canadian Navy, and then I retrained as a carpenter. 
And the reason I did that was just to learn how to build. And then I built this 26-foot steel boat and I sailed solo across the Pacific. Boy, at that point I was hooked. I had to keep doing this, but you know, I got married and one thing leads to another. And so we enjoyed many good years together. And then we had a little farm in Prince Edward Island and we sold it. And she said, well, you know, you need something to do. You should really get a boat. You always enjoy boats. And that's where she was thinking, hey, why don't you build a little kayak or a <laughs> rowboat and go out in the bay and go fishing? And I took that as an opportunity to buy this old wreck. It was a 40-year-old boat. I think I paid like maybe $2,000 to $2,500 for it. I spent a year fixing it up in the driveway. I had a passion to get this thing going and, and then headed out to sea. And, and that was a journey. That was such an eye-opening experience because... I crossed the Atlantic in that little 26-footer, crossed the North Atlantic to the Azores, and then in the Azores, and Glenda came to meet me in the Azores. We probably never would have gone to the Azores. Beautiful. The people are marvelous. In many ways, it was like where we lived. They are agriculture, fishing, and tourism. It's very same as the island I live on. And they're marvelous. Islanders are islanders everywhere. And they just look out for everybody. You know, they're they're willing to give. These are, they're a good example of a certain Christian spirit in a way. Mm. And then from there, I went from the Azores to the Canary Islands, headed from the Canary Islands into the unknown across the Southwell, the mid-Atlantic and to the Caribbean. But en route, that's when things didn't go to plan. I had been in many big seas before because small boats, a big sea in a small boat isn't the same as a big sea in a big boat. So these big seas for me would be relatively small for a big boat. I've been knocked over a number of times. That's where the boat goes 90 degrees, but she pops right back up again. But this time around, it was a rogue wave and that's a different animal altogether. That's like getting hit by lightning. It's very, very rare. And it just, I heard it coming. It was after dark. And it picked up the boat and it must have had a massive white cap on it. And the white cap is foam. It doesn't have enough substance to support the weight of the boat. And the boat fell through that and landed on its side, did some damage to the superstructure. I cracked two ribs and we're 700 miles from the Caribbean at that point. But were you scared for your even... life at that point? No, this is where my old Navy training came in, I think, because. I immediately went into damage control. I'm searching for any cracks and there's water inside the boat. I have to figure out where did it come from and I need to pump it out because that water is making the boat unstable. They were strong winds. They were winds of about 27 knots. So I, I don't know, in miles an hour, that's probably 35 at least. And, you know, I needed to look after the boat. And, and that's that's Navy training right there. You know, if there's no loss of life, okay, now we've got to look after the boat boat's been put back into trim. And then it was a few hours later, I'm feeling a pain in my side, which was two cracked ribs. And I didn't even realize that because the adrenaline is just pumping to keep the whole thing going. Because you're by yourself, as I said, there's no one else to rely on. And it wasn't a case where I needed help. There was nowhere near a mayday situation because I'm still afloat. I'm still able to move. I just have to alter my plan a bit. And looking back on it, it was exciting, but you don't feel the excitement in the moment. In the moment, you're feeling more, what do I have to do to maintain life and live here? Yeah, you're in survival mode. Yes, 
Yes. So go back for a second. You had mentioned it wasn't a May Day moment. What would that entail? And would anyone have heard your call of May Day? So I do have an emergency beacon that I can activate, and that'll send a message within seconds to a satellite, and that satellite will redirect it to the closest rescue coordination center. Now, that's where the thing falls apart, 700 miles from the Caribbean, and I don't know how many miles that was from Africa, but none of those areas would have been in a position to send a rescue. They would have had to find some merchant ship in that area and ask them to redirect to uh, do a rescue or ideally, you know, a Navy ship that might redirect, but you're well outside the Coast Guard area. You're in international waters. So that's how I would have got a message out. The response time to that message could have been two, three days. Oh, you know, it's still an area. It's, it would have been much longer in the South Pacific because that's truly no man's land. But in that mid-Atlantic area, you would get a response, but it'd be a while. But it wasn't a mayday because a mayday, and again, it goes back to my Navy training, a mayday for us is where you literally, the boat is going down and you're stepping up to a life raft, not stepping down to a life raft. Like you, you've tried everything. Your boat's just about to go under. That's why we're stepping up to a life raft. When that rogue wave hit you, you mentioned that you actually heard it coming were you in your cot, your bed at that point? Yes. Yeah. So I was horizontal. You never really are in a deep sleep when you're by yourself at sea. So I heard this noise like a freight train coming towards you. You know, it's loud and it's barreling towards you. And then it hits with a bang and that's water hitting the side of the boat. And then the motion lifts you up. Another interesting little tidbit that happened, I just bought a new tablet two weeks before and put all my electronic charts on for that passage. And I had it in one of those plastic tablet holders that you're able to change the angle and direction. So that was set up so I could see it from my bunk. Well, that just flew right out of that holder and right across the boat, bang, it never started again. It lost the ghost. And so here I am. That was all my charts. Luckily, my old tablet, which I had wrapped in bubble wrap, was still usable. And I was able to switch to that the next day. I was in no fear. I knew where I was. I was in the middle of nowhere. There were no reefs or islands around me. So it wasn't critical. I do have a sextant and I know how to operate it for, again from the Navy, but I didn't have to go there. My backup which I only got that backup two weeks before. Prior to that, I only had one tablet. You were sketching on paper at that point once you broke that first That's tablet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because now I'm down to one tablet. And so if I lost that for whatever reason, if it got wet or the batteries failed or the software failed. So I sketched the entrance to the harbor in Martinique to make sure, because I hadn't been there before, to show where all the dangers are so I could use that sketch to enter safely. At this point, you actually still have two cracked ribs. You don't know how serious it is. Are you right. thinking, I just need to get to land? Was Martinique at that point the closest land? Yes, it was. Uh, so there are two islands right beside each other, St. Lucia and Martinique. And Martinique is a French territory, so I thought that would be a better stop. But I was still 700 miles away. I, I forget how many days. That might have been 10 days for me or eight days to get there. The wave came into the boat through the hatch. So all my clothes are wet. My bunk is all wet. 
And I was operating on a very low budget, so I didn't have the best of anything. So the next few days are kind of sunny and I'm trying to air out the mattress because it's just uncomfortable laying on a wet mattress. Yeah, that's pretty miserable. So you're crossing back westward across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, this is all as COVID is starting to ramp up, right? So COVID didn't, I don't think it actually started until a few days after I got to the Caribbean. So I'm just still kind of getting my head around what has happened to the boat and how am I going to proceed forward. And then COVID hits. And uh, no one knows what to do with COVID. It's all brand new and we're shutting down areas. We don't know what's causing it or how it's transmitted. There was a lot of questioning, but the one thing the French did, they came in really fast with locking down and I wasn't allowed to move my boat even to another anchorage. So where I was was a great spot. It was a really nice little harbor, but I wasn't able to go to the beach, let's say that was two miles away. At that point, you were still planning on going through Panama, right? I did, but I knew I had to haul the boat out. I knew I had to inspect the damage because we had a small leak below the water where the rudder is held to the boat. And I, it wasn't major, like it was probably maybe a gallon or two a day. So I can easily pump that out with my bilge pump. So it wasn't terrible, but I knew that Crossing the Pacific, it wouldn't be a problem, but crossing the Indian Ocean and going around South Africa, that is a real test of a boat in the, in the skipper. So I didn't feel comfortable not dealing with that, but there were so many boats ahead of me to get into the facility there and the cost, because they're all charter boats operating on a business model, they were able to pay those prices. It, they were scary high prices for me, for my little boat. So I thought... Between COVID and the cost of carrying on and all the questions surrounding that, I would just head back to Canada and just call it an Atlantic circuit instead of traveling through Panama. And I thought the story was done. You know, I thought there's my opportunity. I'm, I'm in my late 50s and I had an opportunity and, and it was still a great adventure going around the Atlantic in a 26-foot boat, meeting all the people I did. I started making videos and those videos were well watched, you know, relative to the size of the channel and met a lot of interesting people who were supporters of the channel and got back and thought it was over. And my wife and I proceeded on making a little homestead on Prince Edward Island. But then the pressure, not the pressure, but the a lot of people had explained how they were inspired by the whole Wave Rover story. And when was the second chapter starting? Hmm. And so I started looking around. And I couldn't find, I wanted to build a boat this time to make it all a really good adventure. And I couldn't find a set of plans that really suited me. And I mentioned that to someone on my inner circle of Wave Rover. And they said, well, Alan, I know a naval architect in Baltimore. And I think he'd be the guy that could design a boat for you. You just tell him what you want. And that's exactly what happened. And his name is Andy Dyes. And he was a great guy to work with. And we designed this boat based on what I thought was important. And she's a great little boat. It took two years to build, but it didn't really take two years. It took two years to build because I also built a house at the same time. And I was also teaching at a college. So it was actually, and I'm making, I'm making videos every week of every step of the build. So we were operating at a very high level for two years to get all that done. We launched about six weeks ago, and we've already started the journey. So I think I've brought us up full circle now on the adventure. 
So your first boat was Wave Runner, well, just Wave Runner, but now you have Wave Runner 2, and it's actually yeah. smaller. So does that worry you a little bit, knowing how Wave, no. the first one, was affected by the Rogue Wave? So that was, it's Wave Rover. Yeah, Wave Runner is yeah. a jet ski. No, no, that, that, that's funny. I get that a lot, just so you know. Wave so obviously, <laughs> it must be a very good brand, Wave Runner, but Wave Rover... So we, we refer to everybody who watches the channel, the subscribers as rovers. And there's such a positive community because there's it's a, it's a story of inspiration in some ways, as they tell me. And so we call the folks who've been really supportive. Some people have come up and helped me build, you know, there's, wow. there's a guy from Ohio. He drove for three days to be there for the launch. There was another guy from Connecticut who drove... 22 hours straight to come up and deliver some nice mattresses that he built for the boat. There's been a huge amount of support on this. So we call them Rover Navy heroes. And uh, it's, been, it's just been a lot of fun. And the sense of community on this project is so outsized for the size of the channel, for the size of the boat. The boat is smaller than Wave Rover. Wave Rover 1 was 26 feet. This boat is 21 feet. But this boat has been designed for what I want to do. So there's no wasted space. So the inside, everybody who looks at this boat on the channel or sees it in real life says, wow, this is so much bigger than I thought it would be. And because the space is really optimized and the rig, the rig is what we refer to as the sail. The rig is really, it's a Chinese junk rig. You know, it's one of the oldest rigs that man has ever designed. And it's so simple and it's easy to reef. It's a solo sailor's dream. And I could build that, rebuild it anywhere in the world. It's so simple, you know, just with basic resources. Whereas if I go with the standard Western sloop, it's actually a fairly complicated rig. Like in the West, we went complicated, but very efficient. And the Chinese went with simple and very utilitarian. And so I like that. It suits me right down to a T. I have a storm that snaps my mast. I can grab a coconut tree and whittle that into a mast and be on my way again. I have to tell you, I'm going to be living through you vicariously during this <laughs> trip. I really only learned of you kind of accidentally about a week ago, and I've watched a bunch of your videos. And by the way, you have to go onto, what was it, Wave Rover on YouTube? Yeah, Sailing Wave Rover. Okay. So listeners, you have to check it out. It is You will absolutely get addicted on this. So I have about a million questions, but we have limited time here. So I'm going to just fire them off at you if that's okay with you. Great. Yes. How do you handle loneliness? Can you communicate with the outside world? I have this tiny little communicator. It's a satellite communicator that allows me to send text messages of 160 characters. So that's not a lot. And I can send a few of those a day. Largely, I send one to my wife telling her everything's fine. And then sometimes I get one from people saying, weather's coming in, be prepared. Largely, no, I'm not in communication. I noticed that in Wave Rover 2, you have on one of your walls inside a whole yes. bunch of names. Who are those yes. people? There's 125 names. Those are called the Wave Rover. It's the Benefactor's Bulkhead. And we've closed it. We actually closed it at 100 names. And the idea was if you donated $100 US or more, you would get your name up there. 
And I thought, well, I'll be lucky if I get 10 or 20 names. Well, it was oversubscribed. We had to, you know, shut it down because there's no space left. And yeah, we have 125 names. And I'm so thankful. And people, I've slowly panned over those names because people love to see their name on that bulkhead. And they are, they've been so kind. Many of them sent messages saying, I'm doing this in memory of my wife or I'm doing this in memory of my dad. I love what you're doing. The messages that came with those are beautiful. How do you handle food and water? It's a small boat, so you can't bring everything. So I'll deal with the water. It's straightforward. I know that I consume two liters a day. So I think four liters is a gallon. So I can carry 120 liters, which for me is 60 days of water. I can even bump that up by bringing a little more on. So I'm good for 60 days with water. And the food, this is where it gets interesting. I guess I have the ability to eat the same meal day after day, which my wife wouldn't. I have no problem. And it's usually sardines or some other canned fish and some uh, dried vegetables that I soak and I turn it into a stew. And that's what I have. Rice and eggs. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> How do you have power for things like navigation lights and radios and tablets, things like that? So we have three solar panels off the back end of the boat and they generate 300 watts. It's not a lot of power, but it's enough to run all those things that you just said and a laptop. I keep my cameras all topped up and I wasn't able to do it on Wave Rover 1, but on Wave Rover 2, that's probably 50% more power than I had on Wave Rover 1. So I'm able to edit videos while I'm at sea. Now on Wave Rover 1, you actually had warnings if you had other ships within so many miles. I'm assuming you'll have that same system on the new one? I actually have a better system on this one. So I have that system, which was, it's called AIS, and I had a receiver on Wave Rover 1. And I made the statement during Wave Rover 1 videos, I said, the only thing I would change is I'd like to have an AIS transmitter so other ships could see me. And one of the subscribers, Ray over in Ireland, he said, Alan, I'm sending you a transmitter. And uh, it's a pricey piece of kit. And wow. he sent it to me and it's installed. And Ray and I are good friends. And I plan to visit him in Ireland one day to thank him personally. As part of this trip? I think what's going to happen is, I see, I'm already thinking beyond this trip. After this trip, after I close the circle in the Caribbean, I'm turning around and going to Ireland, which is where I was born. I was born in Dublin, Ireland. We moved to Canada when I was six. So the last bucket list item for me is to bring a boat back into the country where I was born. I am totally living vicariously through you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do if the wind just drops off completely? I have no problem with that. People talk about, oh, that drives me crazy. I don't mind it one bit. I fold the sail up and I just sit there. And it's a great time to meditate. To spend time with yourself is something many of us are afraid to do. But when you have no choice and you embrace it, well, that's a different story entirely. I, I enjoy my alone time, but I'm not a loner. When I get ashore, I'm the most gregarious guy you're going to find. You know, I want to interact with everybody. Do you feel a connection with God as you're sailing? I do. Absolutely. I, there are actually a number of people on the Benefactors Bulkhead who are like yourself, either a deacon or a religious person. There's the 
I forget what the exact name, the Confederation of Military Chaplains or one of the names on there. And I, I'm a man of faith myself. And probably I only carry three or four books on board. The rest are electronic, but one of them is the Bible, of course. And, and I do read my Bible. I, no better time or place to read a Bible than at sea alone with no distractions. Do you ever have times, though, when you're sailing and you just think, man, I could really go for an IHOP right now? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> not so much an IHOP. I'm not a big pancake guy. But the big deal that I have is I like, before I leave on a trip, and probably if possible as soon as I arrive, is a steak, a good steak. So I don't normally treat myself to something like that. But because you only depart so many times, I, I make it part of my ritual now. Try to get a good steak before you leave. And I've, I've managed that now in the first two ports. So I have to keep it going. Do you fish while you're sailing? Everybody else fishes. When they're, I don't. I will look into that because the number of people who told me to fish. My fear is that I'm going to catch big fish and I will land it on my boat. I won't have refrigeration to deal with it. And someone's going to point out to me after they see the video, well done, Alan, you just landed the last of that species. And I just don't, I don't know enough, but I don't want to be that guy who wipes out a, a species. Can you talk about how much time you spend in the cabin versus outside? So outside, isn't that comfortable on a small boat. There isn't a lot of protection for sun or wind. So I'm out there probably only, well, let's say less than a quarter of the day. The other three quarters, I'll be below deck. Now, how much do I steer? That's another good question. I hardly steer at all because I designed this thing called the Mark III. This has been done before, but this is my interpretation of it. And it's it's a wind vane self-steering apparatus. So I point it in the direction of the prevailing wind. And then if the boat falls off course, the little paddle changes the angle that transmits a signal to the rudder and the rudder changes to bring us back into that proper angle. So that takes care of all my steering. And that frees me up to do things like cook a meal or look after the boat in other ways without... There's no way a single man can steer a boat across an ocean. You just, no one would have that level of stamina. Because you have to do things like sleep? So, yeah. You try steering a boat for two or three hours, that'll be probably the maximum that you could really do and stay on course. That much muscle is needed? You know, focus, just imagine staring at a compass because in the middle of the ocean, you don't have any lead marks. You can't say I'm headed to that island or that edge of that building. So you're looking at a little compass and trying to keep the boat on that little point. It's tough. How do listeners keep track of you now? Because you'll be at sea when this airs and we want to be able to receive regular updates. So how do we do that? There's no easy way to keep up in that other than watch the channel. The videos are usually a couple of weeks behind because I can only upload them when I get to a new port. I do have an electronic tracker, but that's just for the patrons of the channel. There's like different levels of subscription on the channel and the patrons get access to the tracker. It's the patrons, just so you know what they are, they're people who pay a small amount of money for every video. They really support the channel and it's um, so important because they essentially pay for the cameras, they pay for the upkeep of the boat. So what is your plan? Can you tell us the route? Oh, yes. 
I'm heading down the eastern seaboard. The next stop will be somewhere like Buzzards Bay. I haven't picked the exact spot yet. And then from there, Chesapeake Bay, leaving Chesapeake Bay and heading out to Bermuda. And then from Bermuda, I'll be heading down to the Windward Islands of the Caribbean. You know, hopefully I want to go to Martinique again, because for me, the destination isn't so much like Martinique. The destination is being at sea. That's the destination. And then from Martinique, I have to go to Panama. And then now it gets interesting. I leave Panama and I head down to places like Tahiti. They're called the Marquesa Islands, the French Society Islands. That'll be a run across the South Pacific. And then from there to Australia, then through the Indian Ocean, around South Africa. So that's the real big test, you know, going around Cape of Good Hope in a small boat. And then from South Africa, head up to, uh, again, it's a big trip across the South Atlantic. And then you'll head back into the Caribbean, head up north? Head back to Martinique, and that is from Martinique to Martinique, that's the circumnavigation. You've actually (laughs) done enough miles, though, where you could have gone around the world, right? If you add up all the solo sailing I've done, I probably have. But this is more a technical thing for me now. And I don't know, you know, I'm not that old, but this is probably the only time I'll get a chance to do this. So I'm I'm married. I, I have obligations. So this is like a two-year period we've carved out where, Alan, you can follow your passion and enjoy it. It is just so cool. And do you have a Sharpie? I, I do, yes. Yeah, okay. Bring that with you and please write my name on your boat because <laughs> I want to go. I will. Absolutely will. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have room to do that. It won't be as neat as the writing Glenda's done, but you'll be able to identify it even more. I love every bit of this and I, I wish you a bon voyage and safe travels and, and Godspeed. Thank you so much, Deacon Mike. Our guest today has been Alan Mulholland, and this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.